Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, if you could open them up to the book of Hebrews, or if you have your Bible on your phone, uh, please do so. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Today, as we've been going through the summer in a study of Hebrews, um, we get to this passage, which does what the author of Hebrews does five other times, which is give a totally non-Hallmark card-friendly passage. You'll never see this on any card at a Christian bookstore. You'll never see a t-shirt sold in any Christian store on some, from some Christian organization. You'll never see this printed. If you do, buy me it because it's just you're not going to find it. It's a punch in the teeth is what it is. And, it, and this happens five times specifically in the book of Hebrews where he gives these drastic and, and dramatic warnings. It's like... And one of those warnings is embedded in chapter 10. And so we're going to read the center of that chapter first, then we're going to deal with what's before and after it as we go through the sermon. So if you could stand as we read God's word. This is Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to go ahead and start off with verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Again, no card for that. Anyone who has rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone who deserves to be punished, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace, For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay, now if you're waiting for that to get happy. The amazing thing is that that there's some phenomenal stuff there. But really what this is, what he's talking about in this and those other five passages is this, this concept of falling away. Like falling away from our faith. And let's be honest. How many of us in here, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of us have fallen away from our faith at some point or another? How many of, how many of us have, have, have continued to sin even after we've received the gospel? He's describing a, a group of people here in a little bit more poignant way of saying these were people who were a part of our congregation. They knew the gospel. They, they, they received it. They're like, I believe in Jesus. And then something happened where they just went off the reservation, they just went off the map, and, and they fell away. And so today what we're going to be talking about is what is falling away, like how does that happen, and then how do we avoid that taking place? And we see that all here in this chapter. And first off, just describing what it is. Um, this past week, um, a guy named, by the name of Joshua Harris, and you may or may not be familiar with that name, um, as a youth pastor, I was familiar with him because he wrote a book, actually, like right when I was in college, when he was 21 years old, he wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, um, was this book about, you know, dating is a messed up framework. We should do courtship. It was really embedded in, like, uh, the homeschool movement. And, and all of a sudden, it kind of, like, spread it and bit, making an impact on evangelical, the evangelical community. He started pastoring a church uh, when he was 30, and, like, this massive, big old church. And so, like, I mean, just he was a mover and a shaker. And, and actually, everyone who's, um, that I've known that has described this guy talks about him as the most, one of the most amazingly generous and kind people you're ever going to meet. Like Joshua Harris, just, just phenomenal. Um, and then this past week, um, he announced on Instagram, because that's where you announce important things, he announced that he and his wife are separating. Uh, they're, they're probably ending, uh, going in the direction of a divorce. And like, I don't know the guy, 
but that, that hit hard. I was like, oh, no. I feel, I feel the same way I, I feel whenever I'm talking to anyone who's going through a separation or a divorce. It just breaks my heart. But then a, a couple days go by, and he puts out another announcement through Instagram that says this. He says, the information that was left out of our announcement, his wife and his announcement, is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Now, if the first one was a punch to the gut, this was like a baseball bat. Again, I, I didn't like his book. <laughs> but just hearing any, any believer say that, and I, and I mean, walking with people through faith, many of us, our story is similar. We've had points where this is what we've said. If we've not said it explicitly, we've said it implicitly with our life or whatever. And so one of the things that that we get to with this and with regard to this passage and those other warning passages, urging, urging, urging the congregation, do not fall away from Jesus. One of the the things that surfaces is the definition of what that means in its like most poignant way, which is this word apostasy. We don't use the word apostasy a lot. It's not something that we chuck around, especially because it's just such a, a, it's, it's a, it's a word with teeth. But a definition that I just came up with it is this. Apostasy is when a person throws away the confidence they once had in Jesus and separates their life from him, okay? How does that happen? Basically, how that happens is this. Um, This is, I would say, and this is where I would disagree with Joshua Harrison in his description of what he went through, um, just slightly. Uh, Because he talked about a popular term for this is deconstruction. And I think that actually deconstruction can can be a a very helpful thing. Deconstruction is, it's, it's similar to like when, when you're growing up um, in a family, and you're like, you know, you, everything that your family does is pretty normative. They, they seem normal overall. You may disagree with them or whatever, but they seem normal. And then you, you, get, you start dating someone who then gets to see your family with fresh eyes. And then they look at your family, they're like, oh man, these people are messed up. They're like, what you talking about? These people are messed up. This is normal. And then like, right? And so there's things that, becoming an adult, part of it is saying, I'm looking at what my parents did, and I'm finding what I want to treasure, what I want to do. I want my kids to experience this. I want my neighbors to experience this version of what I saw my parents do. I treasure it, and the things that I want to trash, the things that were not helpful, the things that were messed up, or they were, they were unhealthy, or, or whatever, the things that I don't ever want, I don't ever want my kids to experience. Never, 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 not on my watch. I don't ever want to be that way, etc. Want to trash. That, that's, that's, a, that's adulting 101. Figuring out what it is I want to treasure and what it is I want to trash. The interesting thing about deconstruction is that that's the same thing that happens in faith. Now, in, in its most positive version, deconstruction is basically saying, I'm going, to eval- I'm going to basically realize that I grew up going to Sunday school. I sang all the songs. I went to day camp. I went to VBS or, you know, whatever I believed. I, I went to camps. I made the decisions. I did all the stuff. And I, it was like, it was very real to me. Um, but as I'm becoming an adult, I need to reevaluate. What is it that I grew up with that was straight from this, that was, was appropriate to this, and what wasn't? What do I treasure and what do I trash? And so the process of deconstruction is basically whittling down and interrogating the things that we take as givens and say, well, how does that reflect with this, right? And so what we've seen a lot of people go through and experience is, there's a lot of stuff that I thought was straight up biblical growing up, and it ain't. And so I'm walking away from that. I'm I'm like actually taking a sidestep to that. I'm throwing that part away, keeping the core and building on that a more biblical perspective on who God is and how I'm supposed to relate to him. That's the most 
positive version of deconstruction. Apostasy isn't that. Apostasy is falling away in such a way where it's basically saying, I have lost my confidence in Jesus. See, I grew up with it. Like, I, 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 man, I, I was not like a fake believer. I was a true believer, man. I, I believed the whole thing. But time happened, and, and, and as time happened, this just started to just become something that this didn't survive adulthood. This was fine when I was 12. This was totally cool when I was 7. But 24? There's just enough that has kind of whittled this down to the point that when I'm looking at going into adulthood, my confidence in Jesus as being God or my Savior, or whatever, that's one of the things that I have to leave on the wayside. So why, how does this happen? Honestly, I believe there's, there's, it's far too complicated and complex to, to be overly simplistic about it. However, there's enough commonalities that I've seen just as a pastor that, that you can kind of boil it down to one of what Andy Stanley said is these uh, false gods that we put our trust in. These false gods that we, we kind of like fall out of faith with. Like, for example, the bodyguard God. Some of you came into faith with the bodyguard God, the God who would never let bad things happen to good people. Like you, man, going through your life, you're like, I pray to the bodyguard God. Please keep us safe on this road trip. Please, keep, you know, please bless this food so I don't get poisoned. But whatever. The bodyguard God is the one who keeps you safe and secure from all what? Alarm. Man, bodyguard God is there. He's always there. He's, he's got my back. And he does until he doesn't. All of a sudden, that thing happens that the bodyguard God didn't protect you from. You got the diagnosis. You're like, where were you on that one? Your parents got the divorce. And he let it happen. That tragedy took place that you can't undo. And bodyguard God, who can't, he's done amazing stuff, didn't save you from that. Bodyguard God is someone that over time you just said, I just, I can't. If my trust is in you, you know, not letting bad things happen to good people, you let a lot of bad stuff happen to a lot of good people, including me. And I can't. I can't anymore. And if you have given up bodyguard God, you've lost faith in him, I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you lost faith in bodyguard God. You know why? He doesn't exist. He's fake. He's a fraud. He's not in the Bible. As Christians... Our faith centers around the most good person having the most bad happen to him. Perfect person, horrible, tragic, unjust, unfair, horrible tragedy, pain, etc. to Jesus. Our faith isn't around if you're good, God will protect you. If you're good, nothing bad happens. That's not there. Body, if you lost faith in bodyguard God, I'm so grateful as your pastor to know that you did. Some of you, actually, it wasn't bodyguard God. It was someone similar, the boyfriend God. The boyfriend God whose presence is always felt. Oh, I love the boyfriend God. The boyfriend God is, is like, like, okay, maybe you, like, you grew up and you, were, you did church and like, you did the Sunday school stuff and always felt kind of kid-like, but then you got into junior high. And if you were still at church like in junior high, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like they're singing music that affects my heart. Like I'm singing and I'm like, talk, I'm singing to God and it's weird. Like I want to raise my hands. I feel like I'm getting tears. Like there's an emotional thing happening here. Like it's weird. It's like a relationship all of a sudden. And it's like, he's always like, like a good boyfriend. He's there. And I want to communicate. I want to contact. I want to spend all this time with him. And it's amazing. And like you feel his presence. And then just like every other relationship over time, as the years go on, the presence with you and God sometimes gets to these really dry spells where you just don't feel them anymore. And you're just like, maybe I was like 
I don't know. Maybe I was just infatuated with the idea of God. But it wasn't real. Maybe I was just a stupid kid. Because I'm not feeling anything now. And God and I, we just need to break up. Because, I mean, it's not, it's not that it's him. It's kind of me, maybe. But it's, at the same time, it's like we're, we're just going on two different paths. And if, you're, if, you're, if you broke up with the boyfriend God... Because you're like, I, I can't worship a God I can't feel all the time. I'm so glad that you've given up on that God as the God because the actual God is not this God that has always felt. In fact, all throughout Scripture, you have the heroes of the faith following God and expressing in honest, honesty, I don't feel God. I don't sense you. Where are you right now? I, I don't know where you are. Why? But at the same time, knowing in, this spite of, in spite of the fact I don't feel you, I know you're here. In spite of the fact I, fact I don't sense you, I'm going to hold on to you. We have that. And so if you've given up on that God, I'm so glad you did because he is a fraud. Some of you also have given up on, on the on-demand God. Okay? We, everything in our world is catered around on-demand. If I have a rando, like, ADD thought about a movie or a TV show I saw when I was in third grade, I just go home, or I just get my phone, and I could watch it. I could rent it on-demand. Burger King, they used to say, like, your way right away. Burger King now, McDonald's, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it, right? Everything is catered around. That was, it's a good thing Carlos didn't hear that because he'd be recruiting me. <laughs> the on-demand God is no different. This is a God who rightly responds to me the way that I would respond to someone. If, if someone asks me a fair request and I can do it, I'm going to say, yes, I can do that. And that's how I would respond. And yet, here's God who can do everything. And when I give him a completely fair request that is good, it's not selfish, it's not self-centered. If I ask him something fair and he doesn't do it, like, seriously, God, why couldn't you heal her? I prayed in faith for you to heal her. You've done far greater things than that in here, and you let her die. I can't follow someone who has the ability to do good and does it. If you would have healed her, do you realize how much glory you would have received? That would be like a miracle. People would be like, oh, I didn't believe in God. I was a straight-up atheist. But then I saw your grandmother, your aunt get healed, and all of a sudden, boom. Like, I'm putting my faith in that kind of God. You could have done that, God, and you chose not to. And if you've given up on on-demand God, I'm so glad you did. You know why? Because he doesn't exist. You realize that the things that are most real, we are most unaware of, the things that are most constantly true, we are most unaware of. San Diego has amazing weather. You know how much people in San Diego talk about the weather? You know why they don't talk about it? Because it's constantly nice in San Diego. You know who talks about the weather in San Diego? Illinoisans. <laughs> this is amazing. I feel so good. And they're like, it's Wednesday, yeah. You know, it's like, that's just, right? The things that are most constant. We don't think about the air we're breathing until it smells funky or a refinery is burning off. Or you know, so we, we, the things that are most constant, we are least aware of their presence in a tangible way. 
And we have God who, who is who's the most constant and present. One of the other things that's amazing is this, is that with regard to the on-demand God, the thing that's so important for us to understand is this, is that we pick up on this truth as we, go, as we get older. Like if you're 17 years old and you're ticked off at your parents because they just say no and you don't get it and they're so prudish or backwards or whatever, totally get that. Everyone here that's old has been there. We've been there. But the weird thing is, is as you get older, your parents start to look less and less like morons. Only because, not because they're perfect, but because you realize that everything that they were doing, actually some of it had a real good reason, and you just didn't see it because you were 17. Like when you're 37 or 27 or 57, all of a sudden you start picking up on, wow, I thought I knew all this right here, and yet I had no clue. Not until I was over here. I had a couple of decades. Now, if a couple of decades does a revolution like that inside of a person's mind, we have a God who has been present from infinity, eternity past. You think that he's coming to the table and saying no to things, and we're just like, I can't believe it. Like, why would you not do that? Do you think that there actually could possibly be far more rationale in why he would say no to a perfectly good and just request? Simply because he's not responding from a a point of fairness. He's operating from a point of wisdom and his, his sovereignty, what brings him glory, what he knows to be best. Some of you uh, fell out of faith with the guilt God. You grew up with a ton of guilt, so much so that you got into your 20s and anything that seemed fun was probably sin. And like to this day, like you still are battling that guilt. Now the crazy thing is, is that you know, you'll have a lot of pastors and you'll even have the Bible that points out things that make us feel guilty. Like, uh, I'm not doing that. Or yeah, I totally did that. But the purpose in scripture is never to be this haunting apparition that haunts us and keeps us in shame to a point of paralysis. The guilt that we see in Scripture is intended to bring us back relationally and to God help us be honest about ourselves. In fact, the cool thing that we see in Scripture is that it describes that what brings us back to God is not guilt or shame or even the wrath of God. Scripture says that it's God's kindness, his kindness that brings us to repentance. So if you fell out of faith with the guilt God and you're tired of him, like the God who, who loves you but he doesn't really like you, I'm glad that you fell out of faith with that God because he's not in the Bible, he's not real. Uh, and a lot of us, uh, especially today, have fallen out of faith with the anti-science God. This has been actually what's been leading a lot of people away from faith in general because they grew up like, okay, faith is, is being sure of what you hope for and certain what you can't see. We've interpreted that passage in Hebrews to mean that, that means that faith is something that I just have to close my eyes and believe real hard. I have no proof for it. I have no evidence for it. I just have to just believe, you know, just pull a Santa Claus move and, and, and things will work out okay. And you grow up believing that and all of a sudden you go off to college or you talk with some friends or you read some books and you realize, whoa, hold on a sec. These are people that are way smarter than my parents, way smarter than my Sunday school teacher and certainly smarter than my pastor. And these guys are saying stuff about life that is provable. Like, you can prove this. Like, this is reproducible, you know, evidence. And let's just be honest. If I'm going to go through something that I can prove on paper and actually see, or I'm just going to close my eyes and believe real hard, I'm going to adult this one and go for this any day of the week. Come on. This is such a false alternative. Because nowhere in Scripture do you see the description of faith being something that we just close our eyes and believe real hard. In fact, it's, it's always something where it's putting trust and taking faith, which faith, a faith step, which is a leap. 
But you see all throughout Scripture, you see the, 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 the guy who wrote Luke, the guy whose name was Luke, he, he, as a physician, as someone who comes through it as a historian, he wanted to give a chronological evidence of the life of Christ. Then he writes Acts so he can give like a chronological, like what does the, the church look like? So that people aren't just like, I'm just believing real hard something that my grandma told me, but that we can actually, he said, I went back and I interviewed the first-hand eyewitnesses that you would have a thoughtful and chronological approach to understand what Jesus did and said. Paul, who is an atheist to Jesus' divinity, becomes a Christian on the road to Damascus. And he doesn't just say, sweet, I've got faith. I'm just going to close my eyes and believe really, really, really hard because my faith is like absent of evidence, absent of, of anything else. He doesn't do that. He goes back to Jerusalem so that he can interview the eyewitnesses. And then he later writes that this is the most important thing. Our faith sits on evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. Science. Science and faith are not at odds. And even if you feel like nervous whenever some like science report comes out, you're like, oh no, this is going to disprove my faith. I don't want my kids to go in school because they teach science there. As Christians, we don't operate that way. Let me give you a good example. If you're a Christian and you feel like sketchy about science, you are the person that when you have a diagnosis and you're like, or you're going to have a diagnosis, something's wrong and you need to find out what it is. And you go to the doctor and they run blood tests and you're like waiting and waiting. And they said, we'll get back to you in two days, but two days come and go. You're like, what in the world is going on? When are they going to actually talk to me? And all of a sudden, three days later, the, the doctor calls you like, finally, I'm going to have the test results. And he says, hey, just want to let you know, I've been really going back and forth on this one. I really don't want to run your test results. I'm not going to do your blood work. Wait, why, why are you not doing my blood work? Well, here's the thing. I'm a Christian, and I decided I'm going to spend the time just praying for your healing. Um, so could you call me if something happens? No. No, 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 no. I want you to pray for my results. But run the test results. Run the blood work. Why? Because these two things are not as opposed to, they're not opposed to each other. They actually work in concert with each other. We are not people who are like faith devoid of evidence or faith devoid of research. We are people who are created by a God who wants us to know him. And so if you fell out of faith with this God, who's just like a, a close your eyes and believe and deny evidence or, or just run away from anything that's scary... That God never existed. He's not in Scripture. The, the biblical heroes don't model that at all. That's not what we're after. Now, the thing is this. If somebody has gone to this point where they've lost their confidence in Jesus, if you've done that, if maybe you're right now, you've been in a season where like, man, seriously, I've been doubting God for so much because of these things. I feel like maybe I've, I've crossed the line where I can't go back. What if I've committed apostasy and there's no sacrifice for my sins that's uh, possible to bring me back to the Lord? The author of Hebrews wants to deal with that anxiety right from the front and to say this, do not be anxious. See, because here's the thing. I don't think this story is about you. I don't think this is your story. He keeps saying that. Because of what Jesus did, that whole temple system of having like a curtain between the Holy of Holies, you know, the presence of God and us who are sinners, Jesus broke that whole system down because he was the sacrifice. Because he was the sacrifice, we were able to come into the Holy of Holies. We have access to God anywhere and everywhere because he wants us to come back. If you're feeling anxious that maybe you're far from God or you've gone off the deep end, the author of Hebrews is just saying, boldly approach the throne of God. You've got access to him through Jesus you don't have access through him by way of Errol. You have access to God, the Father, the throne, by way of Jesus. So how? How do we keep from falling away? First off, we do this. We faithfully hold on to who Jesus is and what he has done 
in our life. Listen to the language that the author of Hebrews talks about when he's reiterating all, that, all those aspects of the Jewish system that was now replaced by Jesus. Verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Right before this, he talks about how God has done something through Jesus that impacts our heart relationship to him, our mind, because he wants us to think relationship with him, and our conscience, because you can have your heart emotionally connected to God, and you can have your mind believing the right things about who Jesus is, and you can still have a guilty conscience where you feel like you're dragging your past mistakes behind you like dead bodies. And he says, all that, all that is restored. All that is restored in Jesus. In fact, one of the things that, that we realize is that if you want to keep from falling away from him, your faithfulness, if by faithfully holding on to who Jesus is and what he's done for you, simply looks like you faithfully holding on to what, his faithfulness to you. Being faithful to Jesus is simply holding on to his faithfulness to us. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. A lot of people, when they read this, they get really nervous that they've lost their salvation. I've done something. I've committed a sin or I've denied God and I can never go back. We see in Ephesians 1 the fact that our faith and our salvation is secured by the Holy Spirit. That means that we're, as we're falling to our death, we're dead in our sins, when we reach out to God, he's already reached out to us and he's got us by the wrist, not by the hand. Like if we're just holding God by the hand, we can let go. We can let go in our belief. We can let go in our decisions. We can struggle with sin and let go. And, and if, if it's all on us, we just, that, that's enough. We're done. No hope for us. But Ephesians 1 says that we're sealed by God himself, meaning he's got us by the wrist. So when we grab onto him and we've got the connection with God, we're sensing the connection. We're sensing the peace. Is life perfect? Uh-uh. It's still painful, but we're connected to Jesus, and that's a world of difference. But as time goes on and we start making decisions that are in rebellion to him and we lose the grip, we do not fall to our death. We do not fall away simply because he is the one who's got us. Your salvation is secure by the fact that Jesus has you. You want to stay connected to him. You want to make sure that apostasy isn't the end story or, your, or even, even your struggle with sin isn't the end story. You keep on holding on to his holding on to you. Rest in that. Secondly, not only that, you faithfully hold on to the family Jesus rescued. One of the things that's, that's so important is that it's very easy for us to go like, oh, my relationship with God is like solid. It's super, super solid. That's all, that's all I need. I don't really need a relationship with other Christians because they're full of drama. Like I'm done with, with the body of believers because seriously, I can, I can have a much more peaceful relationship with God with dealing, without dealing with all these people, right? But the author of Hebrews says this in chapter 24. Or chapter 10, verse, verses 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on, these, that's the church that they're in, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the things that, that, that he, the author is saying, I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to fall away, so you gotta keep holding on to Jesus. But, but on top of just holding on to Jesus, you gotta hold on to each other. I don't really relate to these people. I know, but, there's, but you have something that you do relate to them in. 
I've told you before about how when I was uh, 18 years old, I got held hostage in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute by a guy who just got out of prison. Not going to go into that whole story, but I wasn't alone. It was 22 other people who were held hostage. And then the the Chicago PD came in and they they, they rescued us out of there. And and it it was this amazing story. Here's the thing. When I saw those people, the 22 other people in the hallway from that point on, there was a difference. Before that, I didn't really know these people. They were athletic. We had nothing in common. And so when, when I, 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 the fact that I, was, I happened to be in the gym on that day was like this, woo, this is a unicorn moment right here. This has never happened. And, and, but the fact is that when I saw them after that event, I'm like, oh, that's Brad. How do I know Brad? I was hostage with Brad. Brad and I have a connection. We, don't, we aren't athletic like each other. We don't have the same perspectives. We don't listen to the same music. But we were both hostages. And that's pretty pronounced, right? That's pretty massively big. You come into this room, and you may not have a whole lot to relate with other people. You don't vote the same way. You don't look the same way. You don't like the same music. You've got different track records in your past. You have different connections with Jesus and, like, how long you've been following him. You've had a week maybe dissimilar to people in this room. But the truth is, everyone in this room that are following Christ, they're hostages that have been rescued. That's what you have in common. When you're seeing people in here, you're walking around this place. You're not just like, we're just gathering to listen. No, you're coming in at a reunion every single week with people who were hostages made free by Jesus. Amen? So why do we treat this like it's a spectator sport? Why are we comfortable to come to our seats, same seats every single time, and yet we don't really know anyone except for the people we came with? Because... We're insecure about the fact that we're really connected to these other hostages, but you are. But here's the thing. I, I, there was a week where um, I was in the back, and um, I was talking to a guy, and I was just, you know, like, oh, man, how's it going? How's your week going? And I was just, like, you know, trying to start a conversation. Like, how's your week going? He's like, oh, you, Pastor, you want to know how my week's going? I said, yeah, I want to know how your week's going. You really want to know how my week's going? Yes. <laughs> Before I answer that, What's my name? All of a sudden, I realized, I have no idea. And I'm like, I need a name, I need a name, I need a name. Dave? (laughs) It wasn't Dave. (laughs) And the dude, not Dave, walked away. Brokenhearted, because you can say that you you, you love someone, we're connected. But if you don't know their name, how deep can you go, Right? So we're going to do something here for one minute, maybe a minute and a half. Most of you have name tags. If you don't, the friendship book has extra name tags in it that you can write your name. Some of you are like, we don't really need to do this. Oh, yes, you do. (laughs) Because here's what I'm going to do. Some of you are already like getting panic attacks. (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm an introvert. I don't care. I don't like these people. Sweet. Let's watch this. This is going to be good. What I want you to do is simply this. I want you to go up, because you don't know how long people have been going to this church. I want you to just go up, and I want you to look at their name. I just want you to go, Bob. And you can look down. It's okay. That's totally legal. Look up, Bob, how long have you been going to Manuka Bible Church? Totally easy on-ramp question. That's not personal. Like, Bob, what's the worst thing you've ever done in the past six years? You know, we're not asking that. Like, we want to know what, how long have you been coming to Manuka Bible Church? And you're like, uh, this is my first and last week. Whatever, that's fine. But, I want, but we're going to do that, and I want you, you are, it's totally legal to get out of the road that you're in. Okay, that's legal. It's actually acceptable and encouraged. But we're just going to do this because we need to practice. Hey, Ed, how long have you been coming to Manuka Bible Church? We all on the same page? 
You nervous? All right. All right. Let's go to go. Everyone stand on up and let's do that for one minute. Go. Find your seat. I love it. This is cool. Bill. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, William. <laughs> All right. Good to see you, Jeff. All right, all right. All right, as you're finding your seat. This is so cool. Okay, did you meet anybody interesting? Okay. So here's what I want you to do for the next seven months. Not eight. After eight, you cannot do this. But for the next seven months, for reals, for reals, when you walk into this place, before the service, because there's going to be like three of you who are early, <laughs> or after the service, in the atrium, go up to people you didn't come here with that you know or you don't know, maybe people that you, you just met and just go, hey, I'm like the worst person with names. Um, what's your name again? That's totally okay for the next seven months. For the next seven months, just ask. Hey, what's your name again? And like, oh yeah, okay, great, awesome, awesome, Bob, awesome. So how, how are things going? And just start that. Ask people's name, people you didn't come here with, because listen, faithfully hold on to the family Jesus rescued is part of keeping from falling away. Here's why. If you have this, I'm just connected with God thing, great. But what happens when you need somebody? What happens when you go off the rails in your faith? Who's God using to bring you back? Who's God using to come alongside you? Folks, it's not like this elective, super spiritual thing to be at church every single week. It's simply a recognition that we are people, broken people, fellow hostages, who've been rescued by a savior. And that is why we come and we're connected and we honor him together. Yeah? Faithfully hold on to the family Jesus rescued. And finally, faithfully obey Jesus' teachings, especially in difficult times. The cool thing is, is the author of Hebrews is saying, don't keep on continuing in sin. Because of Jesus, you're not being obedient to earn your salvation. 
You're not obeying Jesus so that you don't lose your salvation. It's simply a response of, because Jesus is my rescuer, I was a hostage, now I'm set free. That changes everything about my core givens. Before my givens are, I do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's my given. We replace our givens with Jesus and what he's given us. What he's given us is a new life, a new ethic, which means that I'm obedient, especially in difficult times, especially when I don't want to do them. If you just are obeying things that, you, that God says that, that makes sense to you, it's not obedience. That's just you doing what you want to do and tacking God onto it. Obedience is doing what, what God wants to do, especially when it's against what you want to do, especially, especially when it's difficult and complicated and frustrating when you're going through a painful period. The author of Hebrews writes it this way. He says, Remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured great conflict? full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And other times you stood by, side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because, that, because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Do not belong to those who shrink back and are so destroyed, but to those who have faith and are rescued. I was talking with a friend this week, and he was just talking about how this past year has been hell for him, and how he's been reading through Job, and, and surfaced one of my favorite passages in Job, which is Job 23. I always remember Job 23 because of Michael Jordan. So just Remember it that way. 23, Job 23. In the heart of Job 23, you have Job talking to this guy who's a friend of his about God, about how he's going through such pain and loss and he doesn't get it. And he says this. He says, but if I go to the east, he's not there. He's talking about God. If I go to the west, I don't find him. When he's at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. I look north, south, east, and west, and I don't feel God. I don't hear God. I don't know why God's allowing this to happen. I don't get it. I do not understand. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Why? My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Well, hold on a sec, Job. You just said that you, you don't sense God anywhere. You're not, anywhere you go, 360 degrees around you, you don't hear God. How are you hearing the commands of his lips? How do you know what he's saying to you? Right now, you're not hearing anything. Because Job has already been spoken to by God. He already knows what God has said. And right now in the season where he's not hearing from God or sensing God, he's tapping into the fact that he remembers what it was like to hear God. Folks, you know what God has said already. You have these promises. You have this assurance. How do you get your confidence in Jesus back? How do you keep from falling away? Let this be your marching orders, your statement. Manuka Bible Church, may your feet closely follow Christ's steps, keeping his way without turning aside, May you not depart from the commands of his lips. May you treasure the words of his mouth more than your daily bread, not because it makes sense, but because it's true. 
not to get something back from God. If I'm obedient to God, then he's gonna give me all this great reward. You know what? If you're obedient to God, you might have difficulty. The reason that we are obeying Jesus' teachings and his words is because we love Jesus. That's it. We have a relationship with him and he's God. And we know that no matter what we go through, he's gonna take us through that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, we lift up to you God, just a prayer of coming back. There's so many people, God, who've been far from you. Some of us in this room, God, we've resurfaced to come back with you. Some of us are not here, God, that we're so close to you. Lord, I pray that you, just through your Holy Spirit, bring them back, that you finish the work that you started, that you do what you do so well, which is to bring people who are so far from you back home to you. Lord, we, we pray for Joshua Harris. We pray for the people that are in our family that have walked away from you. Lord, we love these people. Even the people that, that are strangers to us, we lift them up, bring them back home to you. And Lord Jesus, as we stay, take steps as individuals following you, God, give us the boldness and the courage to trust that the relationship we have with you is built and based on your work for us, not our work for you. And God, we will give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Go with God. We'll see you next week. What is this?